everyone and welcome to episode 32 of the SVOPA podcast with me, Danielle, and Michael's here as well. Hi, Michael. Hi, Danielle. How's things going with you? All good. Crazy busy, but other than that, all good. And it's very cold as well, but, but we shouldn't complain too much. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. We had a good summer, didn't we? So got to make the most of it. Yeah, we were very lucky. So what have we got coming up on this episode then? So we've got an interview with Joe Robinson. Um, we have Around the School in 10 Lessons. We have some events to tell you about. And we have a music section. We do. It's good to have Danielle on, obviously one of the new presenters of the team. Jane will be on Around the School later. And Lauren is taking a break. So um, they'll be back next time. So um, what I reckon we'll do is, should we move on to the events first? I think we should. Okay, so moving on, we've got some events to tell you about, and I'm going to let Michael tell you all the important information that you need to know. Right, well, we've not got that much coming up, but I wanted to obviously recap on a couple of things we have done recently and thank the guys who came along. We had our last meet in Manchester on the 25th of October. We had, I think it was 12 or 13 people turn up. This was, again, a really good day at the Paramount We've got the Western Supermare event on this weekend, so there's a good chance you won't listen to this before the weekend. But if you are local in the sort of that area and you feel you want to join us, you can always give me a shout on 07930-444656 and come along and join us for a couple of hours. Looking forward to the new year, we are going to hold a Liverpool meetup probably on the second or the third saturday in january bit of a post christmas to get away from them christmas blues that'll be nice that will it yeah, will and again we'll use the crown because it's a good liverpool location and gives people a chance to sort of have a chat have something to eat have a drink and just have some fun so looking forward to next year again and um, we have finally got a date for the reunion haven't we at last yeah we have it's been a long time coming but we've got there eventually <laughs> We have, and it's going to be a little bit later than we've had it for the last few years. Whenever you have it, you always get people who say, I can't make it. I know you've not been able to make the last few, have you, Danielle? No, unfortunately not. Not for want of trying, but yeah, uh, fingers crossed for next year. So, I know you're all screaming. When is it? It is on the 20th of June. 2015. It is. And uh, we've got a few um, things sort of planned. It's very early. We've not got a lot in place yet. But we are going to do something a little bit different this year. We are very much hoping to use the Bradbury Fields for the evening event, aren't we? Yeah, they've um, they've offered some some quite um, promising ideas. And um, I think it'll be quite different to sort of shake things up a little bit and try something new. And we've got some quite good links going with them now, haven't we, as well? So hopefully we can carry on and build on that some more. Yeah, because the, um, the singing weekend, which we're still, we're still planning, because unfortunately university timetables aren't always conducive to singing weekends, are they? No, they're not. They're slightly unpredictable. They, um, they say one thing and do another, which is fabulous. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, we're definitely definitely still going to be doing that. That is definitely on the card. So the idea is we'll um, roughly, we'll use a school for the main event like we always do. 
um, probably with a lunch and then the AGM and obviously other activities and, and time to sit around and have a chat, admire the school, see how it's changed and, and talk to people. And then we'll hopefully be moving over to Bradbury Fields for an evening meal, which will be a sit-down meal. So that's nice. It's good for the committee as well, isn't it? It gives us a chance to relax. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'll... Um... It'll add a, a different dynamic again, won't it, to the to the day? So it should be nice. And then we'll stay there till sort of late evening or just into the early morning. And then hopefully um, we'll all be coming back, those who are staying, back to school. So we will still um, be using school again. That is always the plan. So, um, but I think it'll just be a nice a nice change, and it'd be easier because there's a bar there and there's a nice um, garden area if the sun's out and things like that. So it's um. It's looking promising, and they've been really cooperative and uh, accommodating with us. So, watch this specs, and as soon as we've got something, we will let you know, and we'll get booking as early as we can for you as well. So, I suppose really we want your feedback as well for upcoming events, where you'd like us to have them as we start to put the 2015 local meetups in place, and we are looking at possibly doing a weekend break in Scarborough, like we did the the Blackpool one, just a Saturday meetup with the option to stay over because you enjoyed it this year, didn't you? I did. Yeah, it was um, it was lovely. It was um, it was a really nice weekend, and I think Scarborough, like Blackpool, is a is a really good location. I spent a lot of time there growing up, and it's a um, it's a lovely area because it's got obviously the kind of seaside element as well. So um, yeah, that should be really nice. So we're just going to look at a day. We might look at the end of April a little bit earlier because of the school reunion being later. But um, again, when it's hopefully still going to be quite sunny. Um, so we've got Joel Robinson, who's a St. Vincent's pupil. Hi, Joe. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Joe. It's good to have you on. And, um, Thanks, Michael. It's been good meeting you at some of the reunions as well we've had and the, the events. So um, thanks for joining us. And you're going to talk a little bit about school and also your um, your dialysis and, and how you're coping with that at the moment, aren't you? Yeah. So when did you start St. Vincent's and when did you leave, Joe? I started in April 1993 and I left in July 2001. Oh, great. So eight years, pretty much. And how did you find it? What did you, you know, what did you like? What, did, what didn't you like? You know, how did it sort of set you up for life? Well, one of the first things I enjoyed, particularly about the primary departments, was um, no homework. You know, it was it was great. But one of the main things was there was people like me. So I felt I felt in place straight away, basically. Everyone was like me. And a lot of people who I knew from school in the early days had come from mainstream as well. So they all knew what I'd been through, you know, in terms of maybe some people got bullied, but... At St. Vincent's, everyone was in the same boat, so there was no bullying or anything like that. It was great. And what have you done since you left school? Well, I um, attended the Royal National College for the Blind in Hereford, and I qualified for as, as a fitness instructor. But my, my big love in life is music, of course, and I'd like to one day go around the music road again. But when, when I left, 
um, RNC, I got a couple of jobs around Liverpool working in various fitness studios. And my last job, actually, I attended, I don't know if anyone's heard of Action for Blind People, I attended there who helped me get a few of the jobs that I had, actually. So I got a lot of support after I'd left school and left college, of course. So what, obviously, one of the things we would like to talk about today is your, because obviously you had kidney problems, haven't you? Um, yeah. And how you're dealing with that, especially from a visual impairment point of view, which will have had its own difficulties and, and challenges. Do you mind sort of talking about sort of what's happened in your life and how it's affected you? And Yeah, absolutely. I'll, that's fine. Before I got diagnosed with kidney failure, I was actually, I, I went through a bit of a career change. And in 2005, 2006, I trained as a computer technician, you know, just a basic computer technician in repairing computers and assembling computer systems and just a general technician, really. In July 2006, uh, wh while I was going through this career change, I got a job at Asda in Ellesmere Port. Now, at the time, I was still living in Liverpool, and it was it was it was a long trek, it was, you know, 20 miles there and back. Now, that was the last job up until I got kidney failure, and I'll just explain what happened. All through my life, I always had really bad headaches which I always thought were migraines I, I know certain people who suffer with migraines themselves and the doctors always put them down to being migraines in 2006 again they, they returned and I recognized the symptoms and so I went I went to my doctor and I just asked him I said I think the migraines are returning. This was a different doctor, of course, a different GP. And I I explained the symptoms, and he said to me, oh, this, this doesn't sound like a true migraine. So what he suggested was that I went for a blood test, and the headaches, you know, obviously he thought they were not true migraines, and they obviously were not because... I went for a blood test the next day and within four hours I had people and doctors frantically trying to get in touch with me because I had to get into um, the Royal in Liverpool because they'd found something in my blood which was pointing out to be pointing out that it was coming from my kidneys. There was a problem with my kidneys. So I thought not another, okay. I'll go to the hospital, I'll be out the next day. You know, it's just an infection or something. So, you know, I go into the hospital and I get myself checked in. Um, it, it was the next day, really, where I was having a number of tests. I was still being overconfident, saying I'll be out soon. And I think it was the weekend... Uh, um, you know, a consultant came to see me and that's when I kind of knew oh, so, something's not right here because you very rarely see consultants at weekends. And I think the following Monday after I'd been admitted, that's when I was officially diagnosed with kidney failure, they'd actually caught my kidney function at 10% and that was for both kidneys. So each kidney had a 5% kidney function. So I, I was pretty lucky. 
you know, he said, it's a, the doctor said to me, it's a good job. It wasn't a few weeks later. I'm sure you'd know the story there. Mm, yeah. But basically, it's been seven years, just over seven years now. And the di- I started dialysis on the 18th of September, which was about six, seven months after I'd been diagnosed. It gave me the opportunity to have an operation in my arm done for the dialysis access, which is called an arterial arterial venous fistula, which basically, because a long story short, they tie your artery and your vein together in your in your arm joint, and this makes your vein grow in your arm, so you can get access very easily to the bloodstream. Now, so like I said, I started. In September 2007, I started dialysis. Now, as you can imagine, it's, it was absolutely terrifying, you know, because I was only 23 at the time as well. So I thought I thought kidney failure was, you know, a disease for, you know, people who were older. I didn't think young people got kidney failure. So I think... About a year or two into my dialysis, I started getting settled in, and I I asked the nurses, you know, could could I possibly learn how to needle myself, you know, put my own needles in? So they were actually quite keen to um, let me do it. And again, you know, are you like I said, I, I have got a little bit of eyesight, and I do use it to my advantage. So. They trained me on how to put my own needles in. And I've been doing that five years now. And then I thought about home dialysis. And so I actually met... Well, obviously, I've knew, I've known Holly since school. But we never really talked in school. I'd say, you know, I'd speak to her a couple of times. But she was shy, basically. But anyway, in 2009... We got together over Facebook, you know, we reconnected, we got talking and we got together. In 2012, I eventually moved over to Nantwich to live with Holly. And we've been living there now for almost three years. And again, I thought about home dialysis and I asked, you know, I spoke to Holly about it and I said, you know, would you be comfortable if I if I did dialysis at home? Would you be willing to learn a couple of things? Mm-hmm. And she was very keen. Now, Holly did have a fear of blood, but she's overcome this quite a lot, actually, to help me with dialysis. So in November last year, 2013, I um, started home dialysis. I had the machine installed and everything. The machine itself has got, I think it's about a 14-inch touchscreen display, so it's kind of like a small computer. But I can't see the screen. Unfortunately, I can't read the numbers on the screen or, or anything else. So what I do with this is I use the phone, uh, sorry, my camera on my phone and I zoom in and take a picture of the screen and then I can read the screen, you know, by zooming in on my phone. As regards to needling, I I use my eyesight and I use the feel of my arm to see where the needle goes. Now, 
these needles are quite big. They're about two inch, about an inch and a half long, and they're about two millimeters wide, and they're in your arm for about four hours at a time. You have two needles, one bringing your blood out, which you'll get cleaned by the machine. It just basically, without going into too much detail, it, it just works like a human kidney does. Mm-hmm. And then another set of tubing will bring the need will bring the blood, sorry, back to me and it'll be clean then. But of course, it's not as good as human kidneys, so the process has got to be done for four hours at a time. And how many times a week do you have to do that? Well, in hospital, I was doing it three times a week, but having the freedom of home dialysis, we're doing it four times a week now, which is um, it's slightly better for you because you're sneaking an extra dialysis in and it's just helping to clean your system a, t- a bit better. You did mention when we were talking about you did, obviously you're on the, the donor waiting list to, yeah. to get a replacement kidney and you did actually have... Um, a kidney offered at one time and that didn't unfortunately take that's right yeah in 2011 I received the kidney transplant it was the third time lucky as I'd been called in twice before and obviously I didn't get it the, the two times before but the third time I received the transplant and you know we were all excited thinking this could be it but sadly I received the transplant on the 8th of October and it it had to be taken out on the 10th. And this was due to a blood clot in the vein in the the transplanted kidney, sadly. So the kidney didn't work, basically. How much, obviously, apart from the four hours um, every couple of days you have to dialyse, how much would you say affects your life and stops you doing things or are you still able to get most things done? Well... Hospital dialysis is a bit more restrictive because at one point, actually, when I moved to Nantwich, I didn't get into the local hospital straight away. So I have to, I had to travel to Halton, which is Runcorn, of course, and that was 20 miles where we lived. And that was 20 miles there and back. So it was a 40-mile round trip three times a week at mm. 6 o'clock in the morning. So... Holly's mum fought for me actually, and eventually six—I think it was six weeks after I moved to Nantwich, I eventually got into the local hospital. As in, in terms of your life, it does restrict your life, unfortunately. Um, dialysis puts a strain on your body, so after dialysis, you tend to feel a bit nauseous and. A bit dizzy, but not all the time. Sometimes the symptoms are worse than worse one day compared to another. You also have to follow a fluid restriction and a specialised diet. It's gonna sound really stupid, this, but you're gonna have you have to cut down on your fruit and veg. <laughs> it's because <laughs> your fruit and veg have got potassium in. And your kidneys, unfortunately, when they fail, they can't excrete the potassium. And a build-up of potassium in your body can lead to um, severe heart rhythm changes and heart failure and a cardiac arrest, actually, which is when your heart stops. Also, you have to limit your dairy products and 
just the nice things basically you've got to you know you've got to limit your chocolate um as it regards to yeah all the sweet stuff as well you've got to limit that mm-hmm. in some cases there's certain things you're not allowed like well, i'm trying to think off the top of my head you're not, not really allowed chocolate although you know i do have a little bit every now and then but chocolate's one of the worst things for a kidney patient mm-hmm. you know you're not allowed too much of that in regards to fluid most patients like myself at home I am restricted, but not so much as if I was re- as if I was at hospital. I think I'm allowed a liter of fluid a day, whereas some patients could only be allowed half a liter, sometimes less. It just it just depends basically on how much urine you pass. And that's the beauty of home, though, isn't it? You can work it around other things as well. So. A little bit, so that gives you that bit of freedom, not having to be a particular appointment time at a hospital or anything like that. That's right, yeah. I and mean, what would you say to anyone, say who's in a similar position to yourself? You know, um, any sort of help or advice? I'd say basically, if there was anyone who had who was blind or partially sighted and had you know and was going through what I've been through, I'd say to them, yeah, it's absolutely terrifying and it's going to be at the start of your experience. People will be there for you, the hospital are there for you. Unfortunately, you might require a few hospital admissions pre-dialysis. But when it comes to dialysis, again, it's going to be absolutely terrifying. There's, there's a number of accesses which the hospital would explain to you. You know, you can have access in your neck and in your arm. Also, there is another type of dialysis called peritoneal dialysis, where the dialysis is is it happens in your stomach basically, and put along basically. If you imagine your your stomach is going to be full of fluid, about two to three liters, and this catches the waste which comes into your stomach from well, you know, from when you eat and drink and it's pumped out into a bag and more fluids pumped in. But that's basically a, a good option for anyone who doesn't like the idea of having needles and blood and can't stand the size of blood, basically. I mean, obviously, not many people in our boat can see, but, you know, you get, yeah. you get my gist of it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah basically... Look at me now, seven years on, and I'm dialysing at home. I've got great help from Holly and her family. And, you know, Holly particularly has overcome a fear of blood and helps me take myself off at times or whenever I need it. Mm-hmm. So what's the, uh, what's the future for Joe? Well, basically, you know, one day I would like to return to work and that probably is only going to happen when I get a kidney transplant. But... One thing I must stress, though, is a kidney transplant is not a cure. It's just a treatment option. Mm. Sadly, the kidney will eventually fail after a number of years. It could fail after two years. could be 10 years. In some cases, I've heard people have had their transplant 25 years, even longer. Mm-hmm. But that's my aim to return to work one day. But whether that will happen, it, it just depends, really. Well, thank you very much, Joe. No problem. Thank um, you. Yeah, it's been no uh, problem. 
great talking to you, obviously, and, and hearing something which, from my experience, obviously, it's I've never come across it, and and so many other people will listen. So it's it, you know it's always interesting to hear how people manage different situations, especially from your point of being visually impaired as well. Yeah. So yeah, thank you very much. We're going to move on to a bit of a musical interlude because over the last what 31 episodes, um, you've heard me sing on one of the Christmas ones. Yes, you did. <laughs> uh, but you don't need to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. We also, um, Jane, we played one of Jane's songs a while back as well. So this time we're going to actually um, let Danielle, we're going to play one of Danielle's songs as well, aren't we? Apparently we are, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not that long ago, you had the um, the pleasure of going into the recording studio to record your first um, album. I did, yeah. Well, uh, an EP apparently is the technical term because that's just sort of four four or five songs. Um, but yeah, it was back in June, I think it was. Oh gosh, that seemed a long time ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, I um, I went into a, a recording studio not far from where we live. And um, and spent the day with a, a sound engineer who is extremely good, very knowledgeable, and um, and yeah, very good at what he did. And um, came out with a with a disc with four tracks on it. Um, there are two musical theatre solos. Um, there's a kind of bluesy, jazzy version of um, the song "Feeling Good," and then there's a musical theatre duet which I roped my mum into. Um, into singing because it's one of her favourite musical theatre songs. So we decided that we would be brave and, and record it together. So um, yeah, but it was it was very good experience and something that I definitely um, definitely want to do again. But um, but I need to raise some more money first. So mm. <laughs> if anyone's feeling generous, just let me know. Yeah. <laughs> and people can get hold of a copy of your CD as well, your EP as well, can't they? They can. Um, if you search on Facebook. For Danielle Amalia Thomas Music, you'll find my Facebook page. Um, I am also on Twitter. And if you search, again, Danielle Amalia Thomas on Spotify, um, you'll find some bits on there. Um, but, yeah, if you um, if you would hear it and like it and would like a copy, then by all means send me a message and um, we can sort that out. Or if you, you didn't catch all that, just give us a shout at podcast at svopa.co.uk and we'll pass your details on to Danielle as well. So which song are we going to have a listen to? Um, we're going to listen to Don't Rain On My Parade, which was made famous by Barbara Streisand. And I think it's from the show Funny Girl, but don't quote me on that because I always get it mixed up with something else. But I'm sure that's where it's from. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it.
get ready for me, love, cause I'm a comma. I've simply gotta mush, my heart's a drummer. Don't bring around the cloud to rain on my parade. I'm gonna live and live now. Get what I want, I know how. One roll, but the whole shebang. One roll, that bell will go clang. I am the target, and well, one shot, one gunshot, and bam! Hey, Mr. section around the school in 10 lessons. Right, well, it's time for lesson nine of Around the School in 10 Lessons. I think we're actually going to go over and there's going to be quite a lot of detention for these naughty students at the school. And joining us this time, we've got Joe. Hi, everyone. And welcome back. And uh, we've got Jenny. Hello. And we've also got Jane. Hi everyone. And um, we're going to go down the mobility corridors. So mainly today it's the mobility room, the woodwork room and the music room. So um, I think we'll start with... Who's got the hand up the highest? <laughs> <laughs> who's, been the, who's been good this term? <laughs> I, I'm going to start with Jane, I think. Uh, we were talking last night about your sort of memories of the um, the corridor and, and little things like that. So do you want to start how you, what you remember about it? Okay, well, the first thing I remember, and it was funny, Michael, when um, I saw your kind of preliminary kind of Facebook thing about it, and I remembered the mobility corridor because I remembered the two long um, wooden strips that were um, along each side of the corridor, and if I remember rightly, they were designed that way so that when you were first taught long cane technique, you um, made like an arc shape with your cane as you tapped left and right. And if you got it correct, then your cane would tap each side of the wood so that you could hear that you got it right. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember that as well. I do. I remember that because I'd never used a long cane before I went to St. Vincent's and my first mobility lessons were with Joe Lampton and he first taught me on that corridor and he said, if you're doing it right, then it'll tap, you know, the strips on either side. And if you're not, then it won't. Yeah, that's right. Because I remember with uh, with Mr. Shannon, 
you know, going back and forwards, up and down and up and down that long corridor. And um, that was the first thing I remembered, Michael, when you, when you said. It was. You mentioned that last night. And did you do any mobility on that corridor, Jenny? Uh, yes, I did, actually. Um, I had um, quite a few mobility tutors in, in um, my time at St Vincent's, like Mrs McKellen all through primary and then Mrs Buckle <clears throat> in year seven and part of year eight and then um, Mrs McKellen and then year nine and year ten Mrs Brown, year eleven Mrs McKellen, year twelve um, Mrs Brown again and then year thirteen was a bit of a mix-up really because at first I had Mrs McKellen and then Mr Benbow took over when Mrs Brown left and then year 14 it was uh, Mr Benbow and also um, at the start of year 10 um, Bernie Buckle left mobility to move over to um, head of care so it was just Mrs Brown and Mrs McKellen doing mobility and then, obviously, Mrs. Brown left in 2009, so Dave Bembo took over. Right, thank yeah. you. And um, so, and the real one of the differences when, I know you mentioned it yesterday, Joe, when we were talking, when you were doing your long cane training, you were using sort of the tap, where now yeah. a lot of people use the balls and things have changed quite a lot, even in mobility in those years, haven't they? They have. It was always tapping. You know, you tapped with your long cane, whereas now a lot of people prefer the rollerball tip, don't they? And mm. they get, I think, you get more coverage and you feel bumps in the, you know, on the surface mm. and everything. Um, and I was thinking about what Jenny said about mobility um, instructors and everything, because in when I was there, it was um, Mr. Shannon, Joe Lampton, and Bernie. Who then uh, it was Bernie Glynn, wasn't it? That was her maiden name. But who who remembers the actual mobility room? Because as, you, as I remember, as you went in, there was a, a big rack of long canes, all different heights, and you used to have to go. Before you had your own, you'd go in and you'd have to pick one and hold them against you to find the right one. And if I remember you, rightly, there was a walking machine in the mobility room as well, which children who needed it would um, made to use the walking machine. I never did that, but I don't, I, you know, but that's what I remember. Jane? Yeah, I remember that. I remember the big uh, rack of uh, long canes behind the door. So if I remember right, you open the door and directly behind the door on the left-hand side was the big rack of uh, different size canes and you'd have to go and measure them up against yourself to choose the right cane. And the other thing I remember is the, always looking at the tallest cane in the rack and thinking, gosh, that is a really, really big cane. And um, uh, Mr. Shannon always saying, now that is Mr. Byron's cane because he's the tallest person in the school he's the only person that can use that cane did you ever go in do you remember anything inside that room jenny and how it may have changed from obviously your time and um, the canes um have always been on the on the right hand side and then um, on the left there was a, a, a big cupboard um where when you picked your cane while you're waiting for your instructor to sort of call you out, tell you what you're doing and stuff like that, and you would lean against that cupboard, and um, yeah, you just stand there and and wait. And there's all these braille stuff, um, braille signs to do with mobility, and uh, photographs and all sorts of things to do with the green cross code and mobility rules and 
um all all sorts and then in the sort of middle of a room there was um a table where you sometimes go and sit down um and uh one of the mobility officers would sometimes play some sound games with you seeing if you could identify um different sounds and things and um and there would also be um little um tactile games that you could play on on the uh on a table just one thought as well jenny because this is something which came in since i mean i didn't do actually any mobility at school um simple yeah. cane that was it but i'm just wondering because when we were at school things like the tactile pavements didn't really exist did they did was mm. there anything at school where that was on the floor so you get used to like knowing where the curbs are and different tactile pavements did you put anything in i can't remember you know um but i do remember um when you when you're walking along there were two sets of blister paving um on the floor, but that wasn't to. I don't think that was to indicate steps, but I, I can't remember. Joe and Jane, is there anything else on the mobility side, or should we walk down the corridor a bit more? Well, I do remember the walking machine. Um, I know Joe just mentioned that, but I remember having a couple of goes on them, which is to all intents and purposes, it was just a treadmill, wasn't it, Joe? It was, yeah. I, th- I think, if I remember rightly, they, they did say that it was used for children who'd perhaps been born with no sight and who perhaps to give them help with spatial awareness and things. I'm, I'm not entirely sure because I never I never entirely knew. But, yeah, but I never got to have a go on it. <laughs> no, I, I don't really know. Um, I don't really know what what the main use of it was for, like you say. But, um, I mean, I, I just recently lost my sight when I went to St. Vincent's. And I remember having a couple of goes on there. I don't know why, but um, I remember <laughs> on the couple of occasions that I did, I always managed to make, try and make it go faster than I should have done. And ended up saying, no, I think we'll finish that for today. Because um, it was just, just good fun trying to run rather than walk, but never mind. But yeah, that was um, that, that was that was my memory of using the, the walking machine. Just wondering if anyone remembers, remember, I mean, we won't obviously go into this, but if remember we used to go to like Utoxita and we used to have the, the kids bring in, uh, or the students bring in um, different things for like, games and specialist thing you know, for the school. I remember one year they actually made a pedestrian crossing, which I think was was that left in the mobility room for getting used to the idea of the sound and using a pedestrian crossing. Anyone remember that? No. Well, I'm going to move on. I'm going to come out of that door, and then we're going to. So we've got into the mobility room. So we're walking back out, and we'll turn right down to the woodwork room, which was the. I'll start with Jenny just to see if it changed. Um, did you still have the woodwork room when you were there? Um, it was there for a number of years until I think it was 2010. Um, Jane and Joe, did you ever go into the woodwork room? And that sounds the no. sexiest thing, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember ever going in. And, and just as I remember, I've just read the. Um, what was on the SVOPA group. And I think it's Marie Kennedy who said that when, you know, when they used to do. Um, things that you could do in the evening and you had to pick so many and they offered woodwork and Marie put her hand up apparently and said she wanted to do it and they were like really shocked like they didn't want girls to do it and Dawn Volner um and Marie said it was a lovely memory because her and Dawn got to do it yeah I was just reading that myself actually I was just having a quick (laughs) look through um because it was it was mainly mainly the the boys I mean I I did it for a year or so I think I made a 
a box, a, the usual book rack, which most people made. Um, and I know some of the things, I think I made a, a cupboard, but I know the book rack was around for years. It may even be in the attic somewhere, or it might be one of my dad's. Um, but I remember making that with Peter Connolly. I mean, he was a, he was really good. And it was like Tuesday or Wednesday night we used to do woodwork. I never did woodwork, but um, I do remember going into that room a couple of times. And, you know, now I don't have a clue why I ever went in there, but I do remember going in there just a couple of times because um, I, I always remember it as being quite a long, narrow room. Yes. And I remember there being like um, magnetic boards on the wall that, um, you know, the magnetic strips that you can put Braille on and stick them to the magnetic boards. Mm. I remember there being that stuff on the wall. Um, but it's just one of those silly things that I don't know why I remember it. I just do. So what we'll do is we'll move along. Cause, and if you've got any memories, you know, let us know. We can always add them as a little bits on the next lesson, can't we? So I don't think there was anything else between that and the music door, was there, the music room? No, no. No, I didn't think there was. Because you got that, yeah, the back of the little music room. I mean, this is one section we could go on for hours, but obviously lessons aren't infinite, unfortunately. <laughs> or fortunately for us as students. Um, so what I'll do is I'll quickly sort of walk us around the music section and then we'll talk about our sort of memories. And So you go through the main door and you're in like a bit of a, I suppose it's a little bit of a foyer area where you've got a toilet off there. And, and then the first door on your left was like the practice room, stroke, mainly like the brass, or if you were learning brass, you're learning there. And I think some singing might have been done in there, but I think Jane might, might tell me more about that in a minute. And then you've got the main door into the big music room, which was obviously Sid Wilson's room. Uh, well, it was when us three were there anyway, but it might have changed when Jenny was there. And then yeah. just off there, you had a small store cupboard, which had all the musical instruments in. And I remember we used to always have the, the three timps. They were all in the corner. And what we, I think we got to play them a couple of times. And so, Joe. Yeah, I was just thinking when you mentioned the timpani drums, I got to play those once or twice. I don't know why, but I did. I got picked to play them. And it was like, it was one of those things, wasn't it, where you would. Um, I don't know, it was quite exciting. It was quite simple, but it was quite exciting to be able to do it because not everybody got to do it. Um, and yes, the practice room was, I think it was used for singing. I think it was used for some um, other lessons as well, like you say, brass. Um, I know the woodwind, I learned the oboe and the saxophone, courtesy of Sid Wilson, in the main music room. And if I remember rightly, there were two pianos in there, weren't there? And, yes. Um, and then the little store cupboard with loads of instruments in and everything. But when I left school, um, God bless him, Sid Wilson gave, um, gave quite a few of us musical instruments and I was able to take my oboe um, with me, which was which was lovely because meant that I could carry on playing when I moved on to college. But yeah, loads of memories about music. I loved music. It was a really big part of our lives. Jane? Yeah, I got loads of really good memories about the music department, Joe. Um I remember the first day, my first day at St. Vincent's, um, that included a music lesson, uh, a general kind of class music lesson in the afternoon. And my teacher at the time was Steve McCall, which I'm not sure whether um, Joe or my, uh, Michael, you might remember him. Anyway, we all walked down to the music room and sat on some chairs in a semicircle. And Sid Wilson started to ask us questions. And I... <laughs> 
coming from a mainstream school, put my hand up to answer the question, and I heard everybody else kind of shouting out the answer, and I thought, oh my goodness, if I'd have done that in my last school, I would have got in trouble for shouting out rather than putting my hand up. And Steve McCall came and stood behind me, and he whispered in my ear, it's okay, Jane, you can shout out the answers because Mr Wilson can't see, so you, you can shout them out, it's okay. <laughs> so that's the first thing I remember. Um, but yeah, I remember the story with the um, all the instruments in there, and having flute lessons and kind of general music lessons in Sid Wilson's room. And the same with me, Joe, when I, when I left school, he gave me a flute, which, uh, you know, I, that was really fantastic. Cause when I, when I went on to Chorley Wood, I carried on with lessons and um, I haven't got the same flute today, but I've got kind of like a, a semi-pro model now and I still play today, so that's great. But um, talking about the practice room, um, I remember having singing lessons in there with uh, Mrs Wilson who was absolutely no relation to Sid Wilson but yeah we had singing lessons there um, and then eventually about a year after they moved up to uh, the room that had the piano in it in Queen's Wing uh, which is now where the uh, recording studio is I think but yeah they certainly started in that practice room. Right Jenny and did what are your sort of memories of the, the music department and what you you know did down there yourself? I remember having a piano lesson in one of them rooms, and um, that room um, was um, <clears throat> a music studio with a, a computer and stuff in there as well. And um, I can remember um, going into uh, the main music room and uh, having music lessons. Uh, firstly, it was with Miss Rosillo, Anne Rosillo, and then uh, she left in 2007 and got took over by um, Rebecca Marsh, or Mrs Marsh. I wanted to play the flute, just as an aside. I asked Sid Wilson, could I play the flute? Because everybody in our class practically played a musical instrument. And I said, could I learn the flute? And he said, oh, we've got loads mm. and loads of people who play the flute. So he said, give me your hand. And he said, how far? And he looked at the length of my fingers and the size of my hand. And he went, no, he said, will you, play, will you learn to play the oboe? Because we don't have many oboists. And I went, oh, well, go on, then I'll give it a go. And that's how I learned to play the oboe. <laughs> yeah, I think I wanted to learn piano or flute when I was at school. I mean, I did play the trombone and I've, I've still got one. But I wanted to do one of the, the a woodwind, like I said, flute or piano, but didn't have or guitar. But we didn't have anyone teaching guitar when we were there. So yeah, I think one of the saddest things, really, from I suppose our point of view, who've been there through the years and and grew up with the school as it was, is in like I say, it was two thousand and ten, where that whole corridor was closed off, and it's um, you know. When things moved around, so it's a quite a, quite a sad moment, really, when I first found out that happened. Yeah, I agree because um, that's when Chris Lyon and um, Daniel McGrath were saying how sad um, they were. They were quite shocked when I mentioned them um, got closed off in two thousand ten, and the other art room was closed off as well. And mm. science, yeah, science lab still there, yeah. Um, yeah, that that's all closed off now, so, yeah. Mm. It is sad because I think music is something that as a visually impaired person you can do on an equal footing with anybody else and mm. I think... I mean, we did so much, didn't we? I mean, just to mention a few that we had instrumental group on a Thursday when we were there. We used to go to Utoxeter, didn't we, to the school, and we used to play with their um, instrumental group as well, and we'd do pieces together. And then we'd go to, you know, um, some 
um, music festivals and things like that, wouldn't we, and perform there and things. And we used to perform for our parents, and it really was a big part of our lives. I mean, I think music still is a major part of school. It's just that particular area is closed. Because I know when we were there, we had a Christmas concert and even the prize giving this year, there was, I think it was two, if not three, musical performances done by some of the, the different musical groups. So as as important as it was for us, it is still a vital part of the school curriculum and the school life today, which is, you know, That's which great. is brilliant, really, isn't it? Yeah, I'm so pleased about that. It is good because I just do think it's something that we can do, you know, and it's it's a great thing to. I mean, you know, there were some cracking musicians at school, weren't they? You know, great singers, great musicians, and and it's a great hobby as well. If you do nothing else with it, it's a great hobby to have. Jane, yeah, I thought it was great. You know, I I always remember a. And Dell singing in the carol service and stuff like that. I mean, I just loved that part of St. Vincent's. It was it was just really, really great, really enjoyable. I do that Sid, I mean Sid Wilson must have he knew how to play so many different instruments and if he didn't know, he'd go away and learn, somebody said, didn't it? You know, he'd learn and then he'd be able to teach. And he, he you know, he taught so many such variety. He did. He was. He was an amazing guy. Well, he is an amazing guy, isn't he? So. Um... I just thought the investment that the investment that he made in um, into everybody. You know, when he used to give those instruments away, I just thought, you know, that is just so so generous. But you know, I think back now, you know, if he hadn't have given me that flute, would I still be playing today? Would that spurred me on? I don't know. But I, I you know, I look back, I'm always so so grateful for that investment. He, he made you know i think it's just really really fantastic yeah i'd agree with that really would well i think the lesson's coming to an end not as this one lessons which i would have loved to have been a double period wouldn't you yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the lesson is coming to an end i can hear the um the bell just about to go so thank you very much to um jenny jane and joe uh, and you can all go off to your break <laughs> yep <laughs> Just hope it's not the milk next. Don't forget to do your homework. comes to the end of episode 32 of the svlpa podcast it's been great to be back with you after really about nearly two months off hasn't it yeah it's been a been a little while hasn't it <laughs> it has but you know everyone's been sort of starting different things i've been on my holidays you're back at uni jane been yeah. starting a new job um yeah. lauren's been busy as well so it's been been crazy trying to get us all together to to do record our separate bits and things like that so we'll hopefully be back at every month as from next month yeah fingers crossed looking forward to it hopefully we'll have some good stuff coming up over the next few months so yeah looking forward i think we we need to mention a particular word so which word do you think it is danielle i reckon it might just be that christmas type word it is because we're hoping obviously to bring some christmas audio to you again and um we are hoping we get an invite to the school, but we'll find out and see what happens on that one. 
But we would like to do another round table. It's always good, isn't it, to sit sit around with a few people at Christmas and talk about the memories of what they remember at school, uh, especially for the ones going back like into the 60s or late 50s and 70s when we weren't there. It is, and it's surprising how much people remember about you know one kind of specific time, and, and Christmas is definitely definitely one of those times, so yeah. So yeah, so we would like to um, we'd like to hear from you. Um, we usually only have room for about three or four on the Christmas roundtable discussion, but if you would like to take part, let us know, and then we can look and um, look at different sort of time periods and work something out. So do get in touch us on with us on that one. And again, we're also going to use the podcast if you wish as the um, Christmas like a Christmas card. Yeah, if you've got any messages for kind of friends or any any past pupils that you know, or just to say hi and happy Christmas to any new people. Just before we go, what we'll do is we'll give you the best contact details to get in touch and get involved on future podcasts. So it's podcast at svlpa.co.uk on the email. If you want to have a look at the website, it's www.svlpa.co.uk. And if you want to get in touch with me direct, it's 07930-444656. And we are trying to get a little bit more active on social media. So you can tweet us at svopa.co.uk or you can search for us on Facebook. You can. And we're on Audioboo as well. Again, SVOPA. Just search SVOPA. You'll find us somewhere, won't you? <laughs> yeah, we're around. <laughs> and just thinking ahead as well, a couple of things we'd love to get you involved in, which we, we run when we can, are things like the I Confess section and also the Over to You, where you just send in a you know, five, ten minute recording of some of your school memories, which we'll play on upcoming podcasts. So thank you all for listening to episode 32. And we're going to call that a day for now. So we will speak to you all very soon. So it's bye from me. And it's bye from me.